Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast. And listen, this is a GDP Minute. So I infrequently on the podcast talk about the grind of just the last two, two and a half years of just trying to build as much as I can in Boston, putting every hour of every day into this. And I should do a better job documenting it. I'm trying. And I'm not giving myself a sob story whatsoever. But when I started building everything, I always have always wanted to build a prevalent brand in Boston and do my own thing in Boston. And I knew when we started the podcast, if I was to get Ramiro on the show of Ramiro and Pebbles, the legendary radio personalities that we grew up listening to, I knew that was going to be a big deal, man. And it's weird because I thought about this stuff like two years ago and now he's up on the show and it's just like, what the hell, man? Like you think about these things for so long and then sometimes they just happen. And so not to get all like weird feng shui, young Tony Robbins on you, but we just ran a sweet episode with Ramiro. Great dude, man. Totally transparent. Um, He talked about jamming in his heyday. He's on 96.9 now. You can listen to him every single morning, but he talked about jamming in his heyday. And he talked about jam scams, how the radio station kind of rallied around Boston sports teams winning. He talked about some of the weird stuff he's experiencing. He's also talked about his discipline. That dude is up at 2.20 every morning for the past, like, 25 years. That is insane. And he works out before he gets to the station. That is nuts. Anyway, man, um, totally blessed to have run that. Sometimes the big G-man, he'll just toss you an alley-oop. You just got to slam diggity dunk it, baby. And so uh, the podcast is booming. Zoom's been good to us. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know what you think. Send me a DM. Send me a message, whatever it is. And uh, we're going to keep working every hour of every day to keep building, man. Thank you so much. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. What's up? It's Romero. You know who I am. And this right here, what you're going to listen to right now, prepare yourself. Because I don't think you're ready. This is going to be the epitome, the best of the best of my golden hour. Hey, dude, I grew up listening to you, man. I'm blessed to do this. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Sweet. So I'm Connor. How are you? Good, good. Um, so I think when I initially started the podcast, so I started this like 18 months ago. I was throwing shows at the Middle East in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And I had always told my producers, I was like, yo, we'll only be like a legit show if we could get Ramiro or Pebbles up on our show, man. So thank you so much for doing this for us. Oh, that's funny. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. So when did you start uh, doing it? Say it again. When did you start doing the podcast? I started it actually not. Are you still at the, the Beasley building on 96.9, like right off Morrissey Boulevard? I am. So my pops has an office off of Bergen Parkway in Quincy. Okay. And, and I started on top of his office without him knowing. And I was having all these rappers come up and they were like smoking and drinking. And he found out, he's like, what the fuck are you doing on top of my office doing all this? And so I think <laughs> we, we probably started like 18, 19 months ago. Oh, that's good. That's going good. Yeah. So are, are you one of the few businesses that's still functioning in the city right now? Press and media? Yeah, we're essential. We, uh, they gave us a little pass. If anything gets real ugly and they stop you on the highway, we have a little pass that allows us to go to and from work, all that stuff. What is 93 looking like right now? Is it just like totally a ghost town? 
absolutely. I mean, my for my ride-in is always dead anyway, for the most part. Now it's dead-er. Like, I'm the only normal car on the highway. Now it's all delivery trucks and stuff like that. And on the ride home, it's a little quicker. It's usually when I leave, it's a little crappy, but not anymore. Now, as a as a morning host your whole life, what is your wake-up been? Like 4 a.m. every morning forever? Try 2.20. Oh, oh, dude, I get up early. I get up, Well, I, you know, I live in the Metro West. That's one. So I have a little bit of a ride in, but I also get up and work out and all that stuff before I am, um, before I come in. So I'm like a machine. Where are you, Framingham? Oh, a little bit. For, I don't like to tell people exactly where okay, I live. I, I, I hear you. Cycles out there. But uh, yeah, in the Framingham-ish area. So your, your day-to-day forever has been wake up at 2.20? Mm-hmm. Yeah. work out and then go to the station for the last almost 20 years yeah and what time are you going to bed normally and <sighs> i like to get into bed like 7 30 be asleep by like absolute latest 8 30 dude you're on that mark Wahlberg that mark Wahlberg schedule man let me tell you something <laughs> mark Wahlberg. you know uh jocko willink you heard of jocko of course yeah they're always talking about getting up at four doing this doing that and i'm like guys Get on my level. By 4 o'clock, I'm done working. I'm showered. I'm done. I'm up an hour and a half before them. Jocko's IG is like always a picture of his watch. Oh, yeah. Discipline. Death. Everyone always tells me, they go, send him a picture of your watch. And I'm like, listen, that's all I got on Jocko is that I get up earlier than him him to work out. (laughs) But he's much more of a man than I am. Hey, so um, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Hmm. Um... Ramiro, uh, and I host mornings right now on uh, 96.9, uh, Hot 96.9, the Get Up Crew. Uh, I was on jamming for 20 years before that, and that's pretty much my entire radio career. I mean, I started, when I first, first started, I was on a small station in New Bedford called Fun 107 for like two months, but I mean, I did two shows there, and then I was on jamming, so. And I mean, yeah. w- when you were like young, so I'm like, 24 and when you had started i'm sure you were like early 20s did you always know i was 18 when i started wow so it's it's what i've always wanted to do so you did you always know you were nice at it though like you always knew you had like a good personality for it um no i don't know how to explain okay so have you heard about about the secret the law of attraction any of that of course yeah dude i'm like a total junkie into all the motivational stuff yeah, so I love all that stuff too. But before I knew it existed, now I love it. I read, I read all those books. Whenever I need a little motivation, I'll, you know, I have little quotes and stuff that I send to people and stuff. But before any of that, I was kind of applying it without knowing I was applying it, if that made sense. So when I started in radio, you know, everybody said, okay, well, the way radio works is you get a job and, uh, and mama can't find you, Mississippi doing overnights and part-time and then you work your way up in that city and then you move up to a bigger city but still a small city and then you you know you do the same thing and then you work your way up to a bigger city and but still a small city and eventually in like 10 years you're going to be in one of the big markets one of the big cities hopefully blah 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 that's what you never broadcasters still do right yeah a lot of tv broadcasters still do that and a lot of radio people still do that but that was what people said to me and i was like what if i just like start in the big city and bust my ass and show them, you know, show them that I'm a hard worker, first of all, and that I'm willing to learn whatever it is they want me to learn. 
And that, my, that was just always my mentality. And it ended up happening like that. And years later, when I started reading The Secret and stuff like that, I'm like, oh my God, this, this was stuff I've been doing this whole, my whole life. So that's pretty much how it worked out. Well, so a lot of people, when they talk about being successful, they talk about it in chunks because like you're revising like a 10 year period. But when you were like really starting, what was the day to day like for you? Were you just like making no bread, just hustling, like doing whatever shift you could catch? Yeah, pretty. Um, so when I started, I was, again, I started at uh, that small station fund 107 and there they had me on Saturday overnights from midnight to six into Sunday and then Sunday nights from seven to midnight or eight to midnight. So I did, I literally did one show of that and my program director at Jammin heard it and he said, um, well, we need, we should air check, which is like, they kind of go over and critique your tape and stuff like that. Um, so I did that with him after my second show. And he said, uh, he said, do you want to do some stuff with us? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. So now this is back before everything was digitized. So like they would print out a schedule for you. And this was right before the summertime where a lot of people take vacations and things like that. So he comes in and drops a giant stack of papers like this on my lap. And he goes, well, here's the schedule for the summer. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, let me see if I can find my name. And I flipped the first page and I was on overnights Monday through Friday for the entire summer. So now starting out, I was on jamming uh, overnights during the week. And then I was on Fun 107 Saturday and Sunday. So I was just on every single day. So that was my, my life was working overnights, going back to my parents' house, sleeping all morning, getting up, taking a shower, eating, going back into the radio station. So it was just, you almost, I had, I have, I mean, I had, I have all that stuff, a passion for it, but the combination of having a passion for it and the opportunity that was presented to me, you almost, you grow, I don't want to say you grow by accident, but it, it was the only thing going on in my life at the time that I cared about. So it was your foundation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everyone needs that in their life, like, especially when you're starting out in something, you know, I use the word selfish, which has a, uh, it has a negative connotation when you hear the word selfish, but I think whenever you're starting out in a career or something like that, let's say you're an athlete, you know, when you're starting out, you, if, if it's possible, should consume yourself with whatever it is you're doing so you can learn all aspects of it and just get better at it and you have you're young you have the energy for it so i'm all about being selfish just for that thing that you love that's how it worked out for me well so it's interesting because you at the time when you were coming up didn't have the internet and so i think a lot of people see success my producer just calling me back but i i think a lot of people see success right now and it's it seems so accessible so they don't really see like your initial however many years it was just grinding you know what i'm saying yeah it's like uh you ever see the picture of the iceberg where it shows the uh yeah the dude the i'm on all these same shit that, yeah. that you look it's, into bro. it's literally that it's like this is what people see and then like under the water is like the big base of it and it, that's hard work failing you know picking yourself up dusting yourself off starting over again persevering all that stuff and that's what it is and and if you just go by what people present on social media and things like that on the internet then that's when you have people who are like, oh, I've been trying for five months and I can't make it. I must not be meant for it. And it's like, dude, it's an everyday thing. Like nobody, you know, people who ask me, I tell them I get up at 220, I work out, I do all that stuff. And some people will say like, wow, that's crazy. That must suck because they think of it like as uh, 
Well, it's a habit now. Yes, it's a habit, but it's still, it's a habit, but it's still work every day to get up. That alarm goes off. I question my existence. It's just, you're not meant to get up at that time. So I look at it as I'm getting up at that time. That's a small victory uh, subconsciously just for the day to start the day off. I'm getting up. I'm working out at that time because I get up. I literally go. I brush my teeth. I gargle some mouthwash and I go downstairs to my basement and I hit it right away. So, like within, within 10 minutes of waking up, I'm already working out. So that's like a, another small victory. So I try and build momentum to get my day started. Dude, I'm literally the same way. Holy shit. That's, that's the way it's got to be because, uh, you know, you, the way you, this is going to sound like another one of those cliches. The, you know, people always want to live this, this amazing life. Everyone's, I want this and that for my life. But then they get up, they're lazy. Right now they're in quarantine. Everybody's sleeping in because they don't have to go to work, do this, do that. The way that you live your day is the way that you live your life. You know what I'm saying? What you're doing Monday, Tuesday, what, day in and day out, that's, that's setting you up for your life. It's not this magical thing where you just wake up one day and go, oh my God, I have all this money. I'm famous. I'm rich. People love me. That's not how it works. I mean, it might work like that for somebody, but those are the people that you get their 15 minutes of fame and then you know fall off the planet. But if you want any type of longevity and consistency, you got to put in the work. The day to day, yeah. And and so at what point did you kind of feel like you started hitting critical mass in Boston? Like people were started to be like, oh shit, that's the freaking Puerto Rican right there. What's up, dog? You looking good? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think I hit it at different points when I was doing when I was doing nights. When did you feel like shit like finally paid off for you after all like the early grinding? Oh man, I mean I. I'm the wrong person to ask about that because I still, to this day, I still feel like I'm proving myself. And every now and then, you know, I'm like, ah, I don't know. We could do this. We could do that. My wife is the one who says to me, she's like, listen, you need to sit back and actually enjoy stuff. You know, you, this isn't like a sport where you win a championship and get an off season to celebrate. She's like, you know, whenever you guys get, whether it's good ratings or things like that, she's like, you should celebrate it because my mentality a lot of times is I'm very even keel with things. So if something. No highs, really no lows. Yeah. So if something bad happens, I'm like, oh, that kind of sucks. But then I keep it moving. And if something really good happens, I go, oh, that's cool. But we got to keep it moving. So it, it's, I'm still honestly learning to, you know, it, I guess, I don't want to say enjoy things. I enjoy things, but to be a little more um, celebratory, I guess. But I would say one that I, God, I, I couldn't even tell you somewhere in the 2000s, maybe where I started going, wow, I've been doing this for a while now. And just, you know, I, I felt like I was almost like a, a part of people's daily habits, I guess. Yeah. You know, like when you said, you're like, oh, I grew up listening to you and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, how did you get that feedback at the time with no social where people just like, you're all I listen to? Like, how did you interact with consumer at the time? Uh, well, in the beginning, it's funny because before the internet and all that stuff, it was this thing where, you know, you go out and, you know, you're at a restaurant and you're like, oh. Can I get some more water? And the person looks at you and goes, your voice sounds familiar. Say something <laughs> else. You know, and then as the internet and stuff started, started, you know, blowing up and, you know, we'd have billboards and, and, and on the highway and things like that. But now, you know, that's whenever somebody says to me now, when I, I see somebody and they go, oh, this is what you look like. I'm like, really? You didn't know what I look like? Because now people just look you up. They'll Google you right away. And it turned into, hey, your voice sounds familiar to me being somewhere and you know, I'd be in a restaurant or something and somebody would go, Hey, Romero, what's up? And the way people talk to me is they're so used to listening to me that when they talk to me, they approach me 
as if they've known me their whole life, which is cool, but makes it confusing for me because when they come up and they're like, hey, Romero, what's up? And I'm looking at this person who I've never seen before and I'm rifling through my head and I'm like, is this an old family friend? Did I go to school with this person? Yeah. Are they a listener? Are they a friend of my wife? You know, so I have to kind of like go, how do I know you? And I feel like I kind of feel like a dick when I do that, but. <laughs> I, I hear you. So did you feel like your show was amplified when the city started becoming more cohesive, when the sports team started winning? Like was shit really hot for you when the Red Sox won the first world series? Yeah. When the Patriots won, when the Red Sox won, I think just like everything else, it's like you, it's a combination of what's going on. Kind of like when I said, when I started, it was, it was me busting my ass, having a passion for it and getting the opportunity to do that. So it's like when all those things kind of gel together, and it's funny because I used to always compare myself to Tom Brady because he started with the <laughs> Patriots. You better watch your mouth. You better watch your mouth. No, let me finish. No, so he started with the Patriots in 2001 in September. And I started doing mornings in October of 2001. And I was like, wow, the timing of like me, you know, getting on the mornings when Tom Brady was hot. So it gave you kind of things to talk about and stuff. And the Patriots, a lot of the Patriots kind of listened to us. So whenever we went anywhere, we, we did a lot of things together. Um, you know, it's funny because I always tell people, they ask me if I met him and I'm like, early, early on in his career, we did an event that he showed up at. It was before anybody really, you know, they were like, oh, that's the Patriots quarterback that won the Super Bowl. But it was before anybody cared who Tom Brady was. Mm -hmm. And I honestly don't even know if I, if I said hi to him. But now when people ask me, I'm like, oh, we hung out all night that night. <laughs> Yeah, we dapped up, bro. Yeah, we took a picture. Boy. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, we hung out back in the day. That's my boy. Me and Giselle were cool. So with that, like, as, as your kind of profile started rising in the city, like, as a radio personality, you got to be so transparent and, like, have an opinion on everything. Did you ever get nervous? Like, yo, I might talk a little bit of shit about someone on the radio, and then I might see him out in public. Yeah, uh, I didn't. So that's why... I would do a lot of things without that. Uh, I like almost specifically was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to say what I feel. If I see them, I'll deal with it. And then because, you know, me being on for so long and people recognizing me and understanding my sense of humor, I guess, like they, they get that anything I do is kind of just, it, there's never any malicious intent to it, I guess is the best yeah, way. You're to making a joke. Yeah, so anybody, if they, if they just started listening to me, and there are those people who like would just be listening or just tune in at that time, and they'd be like, I can't believe you're saying this. And I'm like, listen, listen for a little bit longer, and you'll get my sense of humor where nothing is meant maliciously. So I've never had anybody who's from this area um, be mad at me because they kind of get it. They, they would actually come up to me and like joke around and be like, oh, man, you were talking shit about me, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, uh-oh, but they got it. Now, anybody who not from this area, there's been there was incidents with people that wanted to fight me, but that's different. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I think a lot of people don't realize like to be successful in media, like you have to, you've had to like navigate this really fine line about like being sensitive about who's listening and saying the wrong thing while also people trusting you. Yes. And that, and that is developed. Um, again, that it's like a relationship with somebody you develop it with time. Um, and also I give credit to, that's where I give credit to Pebbles, uh, Melissa, because Pebbles and I are, are, are 
such different people where people look to her, people who love her, they're like, okay, she's level-headed. She's the voice of reason, whatever, you know? And so her, her Weight Watcher Sundays, I use, I watch those and I do that. But so, you know, I'm saying my ridiculous stuff and Pebbles is kind of laughing it off. So kind of subconsciously, the person who might get offended at what I'm saying is without even realizing it, they're listening and they're like, well, Pebbles isn't getting mad about it. So it's probably not a big deal. Whereas if there was someone else there who didn't know my sense of humor, they probably stop me at everything I'm saying. And I'd be like, let me finish what I'm saying. Stop trying to like start an argument. But Pebbles knows me like that. And again, the people who like really, really like her without even knowing it, they put up with me <laughs> because even you. if it's something that they completely disagree with, they're like, Oh, well, you know what? If it was something that it was really wrong, like Pebbles would probably check them on it. So that's, it, it's, a, it's a combination of a lot of things. And I, I I'm was kind of, I was researching, but is, is it a huge deal when you were coming up that you got the nationally syndicated spot? Like for you, is that like, yo, this is a huge W that everyone across the country is hearing me. Yeah. Oh my God. I wanted that so bad. I loved it when I was doing that countdown. Um, I still would love to get the morning show syndicated um, to some extent, but it's like a, it's a fine line with that because just what I was saying about developing a relationship, I always make the joke to everybody on the show. I'm like, if we started today doing what we do in a new city without people knowing who we are, you know, from before, they'd probably be like, who is that? How's this guy talking like that? Why is he saying that? Get him off the air. You know, even other stations in the market, I always make the joke that, you know, sometimes listeners will call in and we have a, a delay at the station. So it, it's about, I think, seven or 10 seconds. So if somebody swears or something like that, we can dump out of it. But at the same time, every now and then it slips through. Uh, you, you know, you might hear a swear slip through, but on our show, a lot of the listeners kind of talk like that. So somebody will be telling us a story and they'll be like, Oh, and this fucking guy went and he said this and whatever. And I don't even catch it because I'm used to my friends talking like that. So we let it go and listeners will hear it and nobody will complain. And I always make the joke. I'm like, if that was another radio station, they'd be probably thrown off the air because their listeners are so used to people speaking in a different way. So they, they, it, it blares out. It almost sounds like somebody's swearing on purpose. Whereas with us, somebody will swear, but it's because, again, they feel like they're talking to their friends and that's how they talk to their friends. Well, yeah, we, I mean, I guess Boston is just naturally a crass city too. just people yeah. like, you know, and I like, I love reflecting what the people are really saying and talking about. I love people calling up and just feel as if they're talking to one of their friends on the phone. How much is the city, like, what's the biggest change to the city you've noticed from when you started to now outside of like all the seaport construction and all like the big digging stuff? Like, is there a difference in people? You think people are the same? Uh, people are mostly the same. I think definitely we're in a weird, um, I wouldn't even say this is Boston necessarily, uh, specifically just society is way more, uh, sensitive to things. It's almost, a. No, it's a tough victory. for you, man. Cause you got fired it's, jokes, bro. It, it is. And, but I always fight and argue to maintain what we do. You can't change because everything happens in cycles. And there were jokes and things that we used to do back in 2005, 2006, that if we did it now, people would be going crazy. Not because it's offensive, but just, again, society's a little more, On I just edge. call it the victim. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the victim mentality. It's like, you make a joke about anything. It doesn't have to be, it's, I mean, and obviously it's like a, a race 
gender or whatever. If you, if you make a joke about that, that, that's more obvious. But you might make a joke that is, I'm trying to think of an example, something ridiculous. Okay, I'll give you an example. I, I, there's a little, a little PSA that I did with my daughter for, for now, for the quarantine and all that stuff. And I just have her saying, you know, wash your hands for 20 seconds. We were, it's like, at Channel 5 is playing, it's cool. But it, it, I literally videotaped her on the couch in our living room wearing a t-shirt and diapers because she's two. Some people, you know, most people are hitting, hitting me up and they're like, oh, that's cute. I saw your daughter or whatever, whatever. Then I have people going, I can't believe that you put your daughter on without pants on, on a TV commercial. And I'm like, she's two. Most of the time she's naked in the house. Her wearing a t-shirt and a diaper <laughs> is, I'm like, and you know. He's dressing up, dog. Yeah, and they're like, you're sexualizing her? I'm like, really? How many two-year-olds do you know that aren't running around just in diapers and t-shirts around the house? I'm like, you, so it's like people who are, they're, they're, it's almost like they're looking for something to be pissed to at. complain about. Yeah, to be pissed about. And it's like, if you're going to, if that's how you're going to live your life, you're always going to find something to be pissed about. Well, I mean, everyone's so bored right now, too. It's insane. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's just a funny, you know, so society's definitely, I would say, a little more sensitive in that nature. But again, that's, I don't know if that's Boston exclusively. I still think Boston's a little crass, actually, which I love. You, you think so? You think people are still, well, it, I guess it depends where you go, dude. If you, like, come out to Cambridge and drive through some of these neighborhoods, it's a different story. Yeah, oh, well, it depends, you know, where you go. It depends um, if you're in a neighborhood where somebody's been living there for a long time. You know, you go to a lot where it's like a lot of people who've moved in from different places. But if it's someone who's kind of grown up here for a while, they're, they're you know, kind of the same. Again, everyone changes a little bit, but you, certain character traits are the same. And you would never leave? Would you, are you going to stay your whole life? Like, what if someone, someone in L.A. is like, yo, Ramiro, we got the big spot for you, dog. Big bucks, baby. I would talk to them but honestly right now it's when i first started in radio i was like i'll go to la new york whatever but now i've I've built such a foundation here that i think just leaving here to go try somewhere new is uh i wouldn't be as let's just do it as i I would have been when i started out because i think I, i i've built something here that again it's i can I'm using the words get away, but it's, I don't know if that's the right phrase to say, but I can get away with doing and saying more here just because I've developed a relationship with the listeners. Plus, I mean, I also have my wife and kids, so mm-hmm. it's not just like me getting out of here, but what I listen to the conversation. Eh, yeah. I mean, if you don't take a risk, it, yeah, I, I, it, depending on what it is, I, I might be down to go somewhere. Well, how have opportunities changed for you now that like the radio mediums, has transitioned because people are in a podcast people get their media different ways uh so yeah so i I, it's funny because i was doing a a podcast for a little while so i was doing that on the side but i think it's a lot of um stuff like this i love it i'm always getting asked to do different podcasts or shows because everybody has their own little yeah did you get a lineup for this bro what was that did you get a lineup for this You know what's funny? My my wife's mother has been cutting my hair because oh, I no can't way. go to my normal guy. I know, <laughs> that ass. And she usually does a terrible job of it. But <laughs> the last couple times they've been decent. <laughs> but no, I mean I'm getting beard looking crispy, bro. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. But I've got I mean, I get a lot of opportunities. For a while I was doing stuff with Nesson for Red Sox. I used to host a show called Community Auditions, which was like a New England version of American Idol. Um, a lot of people ask me to do like little local 
movie stuff and things like that. So I like doing all those things, but every time I've, I've gotten the opportunity to do something like that, I, I always make sure that I um, let them know that this, what I'm doing as far as the radio, that's like my number one thing. So I never would do anything that would mess with that schedule or, or it, I just look at it like that, that's my base. That's mm -hmm. the tree trunk right there. Everything else is kind of like a branch off that tree. And I think a lot of people just in general, I, I, you know, I, I know a lot of people who've done radio and stuff like that, where they get opportunities presented to them and they'll, um, they kind of forget the balance and they're trying too much to do this new thing and they forget about what got them there and then they lose the new thing and they lose what got them there. So I learned from other people's mistakes. The tree trunk analogy is a lot like a, a Tony Robbins inspirational speech. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, talks it's about it like that. Yeah, it's cool to have like a million opportunities and to try stuff, but you got to remember what what brought you to the dance, you know? So are execs at some of these broadcasting companies, do they try to incentivize you to like start up a podcast or get your social media booming now? And at first I could imagine they were probably pretty hesitant. They're like, no, this is just this new thing. Like radio is like the go. Oh yeah, absolutely. They still, I mean, some of the people still have that old school mentality, but for the most part, they're, they're trying to get you to do podcasts and, um, you know, social media stuff, but it's, it's, a, it's a weird balance because now it's, and I'm, and I'm not, if you look at my social media, I am probably the worst person using social media because I, if I didn't do what I was doing, like for work, I probably wouldn't even use social media. I don't care that much. So I, but at the same time, I don't ever want to give them complete control where they're like, oh, you said this on your uh, Twitter account. So that reflects us. And I'm like, hold on a second. No, no, no. Like you can't just like the podcast stuff. They, they want you to do a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, well, the beautiful thing about podcasts, like what you do is that you don't have anybody there that's going to yell at you and tell you to do it a certain way. And if you do give control to your bosses, now they're going to want to control you. Like when I do the radio show, like when I do the radio show, I got to fight for a lot of things that we do. But, you know, doing a podcast, what makes it, in my opinion, what makes it great is that it's almost like a complete different side of you that isn't getting touched by anybody. So I have been, I've been asked to do some, yeah, for the, for the company and I haven't agreed to any yet because there's nothing really cut that, that check. Yeah. Well, and, and there's nothing really that I have like a passion for either, you know, like it, the, the ones say, that, outside of pop culture, like, what do you like reporting on the most? Me, I like talking about a ton of different stuff. I like talking about like I'm big into martial arts, fitness, um, things like that. But it's completely different than what I normally talk. Like I'll mention stuff like that on the air, but I'm also aware of the audience and the stuff they like. So I stick more to the pop culture stuff. But who's your um, favorite UFC fighter? Oh, of all time, I would say. Uh, well, I'm new. I'm new into it the last like two years, so it's got to be someone in the league last like two. Oh, what's his name? Khabib. I love that dude. The Russian dude. Bro. Oh my God. He's the freaking man. He is the freaking man. Um, I like, but I also like Conor McGregor. I like the, the reason I like Conor McGregor is because he is somebody who is a good marketer. Like Genius. because of what he does, you want to see him more to see somebody shut him up than to see him win. He has his fans who want to see him win, but just like Floyd Mayweather, the boxer, a lot of people, they, they buy his fights because they want to see somebody knock him out. And it hasn't happened yet, so you have Too to respect bad, him for winning. <laughs> Nasty. Yeah, you have to respect that. So, like, uh, yeah, I would say probably could be, but I mean, of all time, Anderson Silva, he was, look him up. He was the man. 
Yeah. Man. Did you go to the UFC Boston when they came in October? I didn't go last year. Do you know what's funny? It, so when UFC started, Dana White, he, uh, he's from out here. Originally. I know. I heard that whole story about like the Irish mob trying to shake him down for like 2400 yeah. for the fitness classes. That's wild. Yeah. So when he started the UFC, when, well, not when he started, when he convinced the Fertitas to buy it, when they kind of were trying to rebrand it, um, he had me announce a couple of pay-per-views. This is back before they were, I mean, it, the company's worth billions now. They were doing shows at uh, Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods. And so I was the only guy, not besides Bruce Buffer, their announcer guy, who announced big fights for them at one point in my life. Wow. And yeah, it was, oh my God, dude, that was, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. What was the audience like back then? Were people just like showing up with their families, throwing beer at the cage? Like, yeah, it was, it was definitely the more hardcore, um, the hardcore fanatics. Rip of it his now. fucking now, head off. Rip his oh, head off. Oh yeah. The people, they just want to see like absolute, and you still have those now, but then you have, it's a little more mainstream now. So you have a little more just people who are just like watching because it's the thing to watch. But back then it was like hardcore dudes. Yeah, the story of how they built that's awesome. Hey, uh, Brendan Slugs, you guys there? Yeah. Hey, you guys want to say what's up to Ramiro? These are our producers. Hi, how are you? What's going on, Ramiro? What's up, guys? You guys want to hit Ramiro with a haymaker question? You guys got anything? Yeah. Um, I was wondering, aside from, like, all the big boxing events, like World Series, Super Bowl, stuff like that, what's been your favorite thing that you've reported on in your career? Oh like, my god! But like weird, not like what what someone would expect. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna say, of sporting events, we were just literally talking about that the other day, and the Red Sox winning the World Series two thousand four was the most out of everything, out of everything, the most excited. Um, we just had the CMO of the Sox on the podcast. We just dropped when he was saying the same thing. He was like, "Oh, it was a movie, man." Dude, that was that whole season was just a giant story. It was amazing. But okay, of random stuff. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of stuff that we did. Let's see. Um, I mean, there's a lot of random little things. Like there was, uh, we did a concert when I was at Jamming before. It was a, a monster jam. And behind the scenes, Lil Wayne was supposed to uh, be the headliner. And he was there and he was at the venue and he was on his tour bus. And when it was time for him to go on stage, he gets out of the tour bus. He had uh, like a duffel bag with him. And he went to go through the metal detectors and the metal detectors went off. And the security said, we have to check that duffel bag. And he was like, no, you can't check the duffel bag. And they said, well, you can't, you can't bring it through. And he said, well, I want to come through with it. They said, you can come through. You just have to leave the bag on the bus or let us check the bag. He got pissed off, went back on the bus. Mind you, his DJ is on stage right now. You guys ready for a little Wayne? Doing all this shit. So now one of our, somebody in the promotions department went, tried to talk him back into coming. They, they talked him off because he was going to leave. They talked him off the, you know, off the ledge. He gets off the bus to walk in again with the duffel bag again. Sets off the, the, the metal detector. The security was like, we just, we just talked to you about this. Like, can you? Listen, we don't even we don't want to even look at what's in the duffel bag. If you just leave it on the bus, we'll pretend that the duffel bag doesn't exist. But you can't come through with it unless you let us check it. Now, mind you, all he had to do was go on stage. It's not like he was like going in to go into his dressing room or prepare and stuff. He was literally walking on stage. 
He got pissed off again, went back on the, on the tour bus. Three or four times this happened until finally he just left, never wow. performed. So I had to go on air the next day and explain that whole situation, which was, it was fun because we just like, at, at, when it's stuff like that, it's like, I don't care if he's one of the biggest artists, you know, for the show, we just shit on him the whole time. Another time, oh, and that same event was, this was the year that the Celtics. It's the KG season? It was, it was the KG season. It was when, when Big Baby, remember Big Baby? Of course, yeah. The big fat dude, he was a rookie that year. So we're, we're backstage. It was towards the end of the night. We're all exhausted. And Big Baby was there. And he walks over into the, the office we were in. And he says, I just want you to know that I'm personally, personally disappointed that Lil Wayne didn't perform tonight. I just need you to know that that, that really upset me. It's quiet in the room. I look at him. I go, who the fuck are you? Everybody starts laughing. So the next, I didn't know who he was at the time. So the next morning I'm on air and, you know, goofing on him for that. But then we eventually became friends. He came on the show and everything. We joked about it. And, you know, he would see me at Celtics games and stuff and wave to me. But little things like that were my favorite things that happened. The behind the scenes stuff that we got to talk, that that we then got to talk about, you know, on on the show. The internal stuff. Yeah. I love that stuff because, again, like you said, nobody sees, people only see what's presented to them. So I love talking about the things that go on behind the scenes. I hear you. I mean, you've lived such a public life too. Like it's probably interesting for people to get access into all the stuff that's like built up to where you're at. Yeah. I mean, I, I call it uh, taking the bullets out of the gun. It's like, if you kind of talk about all of the embarrassing things, the things that people normally try and hide, if you present it, then nobody can really, nobody can really like get you with it. Like, you know, yeah. if, if you're yeah. honest. Yeah, it's like somebody's going to say, you know, hey, you did this. And I'll be like, yeah, I talked about it. And it's like all of a sudden that kills half the shit they're going to do because the rest of the conversation would have been them trying to, like, take jabs at me for whatever it is I did. I took it Yes, I'll give you a perfect example. Yesterday, I, I, was, I was taking a shit. Can I swear? I, I, I heard this morning. I listened this morning. Yeah, I was, I was on the toilet. I took a picture of a little uh, shower hook that, you, I mean, a towel hook that you hang on the wall. Sent it to the wife. to my wife. And turns out i took a picture of myself on the toilet and if you zoom in it's me naked on a toilet taking a dump <laughs> most people that would happen and they're like i'm not gonna tell anybody i'm just gonna read this pretend it never happened i talked about it on air this morning and put the picture on our instagram I know, did you did it. you actually ball your eyes out to onward dude don't even get great me movie i i have this thing with movies that um it's a theme it's anything where it's a, a parent-child relationship type of thing. Any of those, and all those damn Disney movies, they always kill the parents. The Pixar movies. But yeah, the Pixar. So that one, it's funny. One of my daughters told me, um, she said, you need to see this movie. You're going to love it. Trust me. And I go, why? What happened? She goes, just trust me. You're going to love it. And it's going to, you know, it's one of those movies that you like because they know that like certain movies like that, that I immediately just start bawling like a little bitch. And sure enough, I'm watching <laughs> it. I'm like, damn, got me. Anything it's a fire the- movie. Oh my god! And I didn't think it was gonna be that good. I thought it was gonna. I was like, from seeing the trailer, I was like, eh, it looks all right. Why is everyone hyping this up? But then I saw it, and I'm like, that's a good ass movie. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be weird too, but I was huge on it. I loved it. Yeah, I love all those. I love all those movies that have, uh, you know, there's that. There's the, I. I cried at the most random things. I cried at that. I cried at uh, the movie The Notebook. You ever seen the movie The Notebook? Oh, Ramiro, you're soft, bro. 
Come on, no, I tell you, I cried with the, but I cry with the old people. I don't care about them as young people. I cry with the old people when he. Like, what do you want? Through. I don't know. No, see, I don't care about that. I don't care about them young. I, I, it's when, when, it, when they were old, and she finally remembers him, and the line when she says to him, she goes, "How long do I have?" And he goes, "Last time you only had five minutes." I'm like, "Oh my god, this freaking dude! His whole life just trying to get her to remember him for five minutes." So you were just sobbing. You were just sobbing at the Notebook. I, no, I was sobbing at that scene. Yeah, it's right, not bro. movies. It's, it, it's specific scenes in movies. There's that scene. There's the scene in uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan. You ever seen Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, of course. Okay, so when the old man, when, he's, when Matt Damon's an old man and he's at the, uh, at the cemetery and he's saluting you know, the, 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 the Tom Hanks headstone and his wife comes up to him and he looks at her and he goes, tell me I was a good man. Tell me I lived a good life. I'm like, that got me. Uh, Armageddon, when Bruce Willis tells his daughter that he's not gonna, you know, he's like, I'm not gonna be able to keep that promise about coming back. That got me. Movie so slept on. Armageddon's fire. Yeah, it's 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 usually specific scene. I've never really had a whole movie get me, but uh, it's like the movie, uh, the show. Um, oh my god, I love the show and I can't think of the name. Oh, This Is Us. Do you ever watch that show? This is I haven't Us. seen it yet. No, dude, that's that show. Weekly, there's one scene that gets me to cry for the most part weekly this it's just a it's a good show about a weird it's a good show about a family and mm. it's just like everyday shit that happens to the family what about Airbud? you ball your eyes out to Airbud? nah Airbud didn't get me well, you know but but uh, bro i'm white with a golden movie? retriever so you know that that just tears no. me apart dog no you, you ever see the movie uh marley and me of course everyone if you did okay. cry to that you're a sociopath bro but wait i'll tell you what I didn't really cry when the dog died, when they were when the dog was dying. That's You're not the thing. No, it's not that. It, it's it's always a little. It's usually a ten second clip or a quick sentence that somebody says. It's the scene when Marley's old and Owen Wilson's taking him for a walk, and they walk up to the top of this hill, and Marley's like super old, and they just sit down at the top of the hill, and Owen, dude, I'm gonna cry talking about it. And Owen Wilson looks at him and he pets him and he goes. Just tell me when you're ready. Just tell me when you're ready, boy. When he says that to him, I'm like, well, that dude, got me. You know, uh, it's like the same scene in I Am Legend when Will Smith's got to put his dog down. He's got to choke his dog out. Have you seen that? I, uh, yeah. I didn't cry, but it, it, I, I came close to. I came, I came close to that. Yeah. Because that was like, his, you know what it is? I put myself in the scene sometimes so much that I like picture myself doing that. And you're like, wow, that poor bastard's all alone now. <laughs> I know. It's something about the dogs, man. Yeah. Um, when, when you were like really popping off with the jam scams, what was like the worst one that you were like, Oh my God, I am taking this like too far. This is going to get bad. Oh my God. Dude. How many you think you did total during your heyday? Like thousands of calls? No, thousands easily because there was the ones that we ran on the air, which was, I couldn't even tell you how many that was. There were the ones that we did that didn't we had to get permission to run them that didn't get permission which were the best ones but we couldn't run them because you need the person's permission to run it and a lot of times people think that they're more popular than they are and they're like everyone's gonna recognize my voice and i'm like listen you know who's gonna recognize your voice you and your stupid close friends that's it and they're gonna fuck with you for a week and then they're gonna get over it let's just i would like tell you must have been pissed because like you were probably like such a good actor and went so well and I would try and explain it to him. I'm like, you hear, a lot of them would know the bit and 
they, and I'm like, you hear it every day and you hear it. And what do you do? You laugh at it. You might talk about it and joke about it with your friends. And then you hear a new one the next day. And every now and then you go back, oh, you know what? I really like the one where the guy, whatever. I said, but you don't sit, sit there and like think about it all day and try and figure out who the person is. I'm like, the people who are in it, again, they're getting fucked with by their friends for a little bit, but then their friends get over and keep it moving. It's, that's just what it is. But they were like, no, everyone's, and this is going to happen and that. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So the best ones are probably the ones we didn't run. So I could, yeah, probably thousands. Um, I'm trying to think. My, People must have started to like know your voice at a certain point, right? Oh God, there was a million of those where the second I called, they go, you sound familiar. Is this Romero? Or <laughs> my personal favorite, which is, let's say one of your friends wanted me to jam scam you, right? I'd call you. Hey, is Connor there? This is whatever. And you go, this is Romero. My friend told me he was going to do this. And I'm like, your friend's a fucking asshole. Your friend told you he was going to have me call you. Like, I'm like, you guys, you're the dumbest group of friends ever. I'm like, how am I supposed to get you when, you, when you're expecting it? But I'm trying to think of one of my, my favorite ones, I think, were the ones when we got, like, athletes. Like, we got um, Vince Wilfork, who used to play for the Patriots. We got him. Um, I got, uh, I don't really know soccer, but I know I got somebody on the revolution. I, I made him think that we, uh, we like took like we moved all the shit. He just moved to the city, and we made him think that he like that we took his apartment and moved all the shit out. He got mad, and then uh, what's his name? There was some guy who used to play for the Bruins. I don't really know too much about the Bruins, but he played for the Bruins. He was one of the tough guys on the team, and I jam scammed him, and I saw him. I forgot like that I did it, and then like a few years later, I saw him at an event, and. It was, a, it was a dog event, as a matter of fact. It was like a adopt-a-dog event. So I'm in, I'm in the you crowd. You your eyes out the whole event. Yeah, I'm crying. I'm like, I want to take three of them home. So I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, we're, we're kind of in the back and stuff. And I, I kept on like, you know, like when you can tell someone's eyeing you in a, in a room full of people? It was kind of like that thing. It's like I could just see him looking at me. And no matter where I went, I'd be like, I'd look and I'd meet eyes with him. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And like, he wouldn't stop looking at me. And then uh, I was talking to someone. I go, hey, do me a favor. Who's, who's, that, who's that bald guy over there? And they were like, oh, that's blah, blah, blah from the Bruins. And I go, why the fuck does he keep looking at me? Went through the whole event, nothing. I went to take my, my the, well, what it was, it was a dog fashion show. So you literally walked on stage with the dog. So my dog had to take a shit. So I brought him outside to take a shit. He walks outside. Now we're outside. Now I'm like, Jesus, this guy was like trying to get me alone. And he goes. He, he's trying to beat the bag out of you. That's what I thought. And I'm like, I'm going to have to fight a Bruin. And he, he's like, do you remember? I said, yeah. He goes, do you remember me? And I was like, I know you play for the Bruins, but honestly, I'm not like a huge fan like that. And he goes, no, do you remember what you did to me? And he was like leading, like he didn't get right into it. He was kind of like leading me on. And I'm like, what the fuck did I do to you? And he told me that I called him in jam scam one time. And the whole time he's telling me like a serious face. And then finally he breaks out and starts laughing. He goes, it was such a funny thing. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me that the fuck? <laughs> Five minutes into me being in that room thinking that you're, like, stalking me for some reason. Yeah, you had, you had a knife in your pocket. You are ready to go. Yeah, I'm like, this guy wants to fight me outside. What was the worst jam scam? Like, was there anywhere everyone's like, I hate my wife. I hate my kids. Oh, my God, dude. We, got, we used to get those all the time. We used to get <laughs> – there's, there's, there's a lot of people who are together who they – there was one one time where I, I – it was – 
forget exactly how it went, but I was I called someone to talk about the divorce proceedings or something. Ooh, and the person was like, what do you mean the divorce proceedings? And I said, oh, well, you know, I forget. I, I know it was something about them, them getting divorced and they didn't know about it. And it turned into them just like talking about all the shit that the wife did that he's going to get her on. And I was like, this is a jam scam from your wife. And dude, I don't know. They were still together after that. Oh, but there man. was a lot of like he I think there was infidelity in that one. I don't know what it was. It was bad. Like somebody was hiding money, all this shit. How did you like keep conceptualizing new ideas for pranks? Because like you guys, all, you kept it mad fresh always. Uh, that was a lot of it was the person who was calling me um, the information they gave me. So when we did it, I would always say to them, you know, they'd be like, get him for this. And I'd be like, that's not that funny, but give me as much information as you can about the person. And I would kind of turn it into something. So they might say something like, um, you know, call them up and tell them that, you know, it, 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 uh, I call the, the landlord is calling them because of this. And I'd be like, the landlord's complaining because you're fucking, you play your music loud. And I'd be like, give me some more, give me some more. And then I get more information and I can talk the story. And it, it was, it's a real it was a combination of, yeah, it was a combination. Honestly, it all depended on the, on the person. It depended on the person giving me the information and the way the person reacted. Some people flew off the handle. I could just tell them I'm calling them about their Verizon bill being late and they'll fly off the handle over that. Somebody else I'll call them telling them that, you know, I, I heard that they robbed a bank and they'll be like, no, I didn't rob a bank. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a lie. So it all depends on, on people. Hey, uh, B, you got any questions, big man? Yeah, I do. Uh, much more music related, but I'm just wondering, why do you think the Boston hip hop scene was never very cohesive? Like why, why can't most people name like more than one or two rap artists? And also like, where do you see, where do you see hip-hop going from here now that it's kind of one of the same with popular music? Um, as far as the Boston thing, uh, I think... We had Melfi. Mm -hmm. We had Stiz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of talent in people. Um, but there was a, a weird point where people were... It was like people weren't exactly uniting. You know, everybody just wanted to get ahead over other people, which I don't think that necessarily always works. So there was a period where that happened. And then there was a period where um, the, well, I'll use the victim mentality. You know, people would come up to me and be like, oh, I'd be big, but you don't play my song. And I'm like, dude, there's fucking people who started YouTube channels who don't get any radio play, who are doing better than people who get radio play. It's like, you don't need necessarily commercial radio to succeed especially in this day and time so don't don't say it's my fault that you're not making it or whatever um and there was never that unique as far as i know there might be someone out there uh but i never heard that super unique person from boston that got the national mainstream attention there was a lot of very talented people. There was a lot of very good people, but I, I you, especially to get that big, big uh, mainstream attention, you got to have something completely different. Di like, and I don't even know what the different is. It's, I, I used to have people come up to me and go, well, just tell me what to do. 
you know, listen to my song and tell me what I need to do. And I'm like, dude, if I knew what, what you had to do, I would do it myself and blow up myself as a damn rapper. You know, it's, it, it, it depends on what people want and it depends what you can give them. And to answer the, and that goes along with the second question um, about hip hop right now is I think it's, everyone's kind of doing the same thing, but this is how music usually goes. And this is how hip hop goes. Uh, when hip hop started, it was different because there was a lot of people doing different things. But once it started becoming more of a, a mainstream thing, what people do, and this is whether it's music, uh, TV shows, movies, a lot of entertainments like this, somebody comes out and does something different that gets everyone's attention. So now everyone's going, okay, let's start doing a version of that, something similar to that, and we'll get the same. They they might not blow up like that person, but they're still kind of like up here and then that just keeps going until somebody else comes along and that goes for a while then someone else comes will come along and do something completely different and get more attention than everyone else and same thing then that cycle will repeat itself someone else will go okay i'll start doing things similar to that so i can start getting attention and they'll never hit as high as that person but they'll still be high and then that starts fading and then someone else so and i, I think that someone else i don't know when it might be a couple of years it might be in a couple of months but somebody else will come along with something different what that different is i don't know but it'll be something different that gets people's attention that then will get copied and copied and co you know it, whether it's it, it movies, a, a total genre switch that's popular i mean edm got really really hot i don't know if you guys have really played it on 96 no but i love edm but yeah it could be something <laughs> like that it could be it could be uh, oh my god i love edm it could who's be your favorite jumping on with an edm on. what is that who's your favorite my favorite edm artist oh dude i don't even know man i love I, let me look at my spotify over here that's hilarious. Wow. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Hold on a second. EDM's my shit, but... That's what you bought that 220? I'm not, I'm not in charge of what I play on the radio station. I don't want to hear fucking Post Malone and Rihanna 90 times a day. But <laughs> um, I got a ton of... Dude, I got... I mean, I got Calvin Harris, Swedish House Mafia. I got uh, David Guetta. I got a bunch of people here who I don't even know who the hell they are, but they, they do a bunch of... They do good music. Um, now, how that do you source song. most of your music? Like, where do you find new music for yourself that's out of that, like, 50-song lexicon? Uh, for myself, all over the place, whether it's um, – I have a Peloton. It could be somebody – I'm like, let me go to the EDM person because they have – I don't know if you ever did a Peloton, but they have, you can go by music genre. Mm -hmm. So I'll do that, and I'll hear a song and go, I like that song, and I'll download it to my Spotify, and then, like, it'll – it does suggestions for songs. So I'm like, ah, let me just check this out. And it's, it's just kind of like naturally, I'm always like, I'll just like listen to whatever. And when it sticks, I'm like, let me add that to the playlist. So I honestly, I don't even walking into a store, walking around somewhere. It's, it's so much, it's so easier to, so much easier now to, to hear different stuff because everybody's little playlist is their own personal preference and everyone's stuff is different, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Slugs and B, I don't want to hold Ramiro for too long. You guys have any, any questions? What was that? Uh, I don't think no. We... Okay, sweet. Well, hey, man. I had a blast, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Uh, hey, it's Ramiro, and that right there was my golden hour. Hopefully you enjoyed it.
tell your friends, pass it along to all of them. It's going to be the most amazing golden hour of all the golden hours you're ever going to hear because no one else will be as open and forthright uh, with their lives and things to talk about like myself. So that golden hour right there that you heard, you should probably hear it again because you'll learn stuff.